0: Hello there and welcome to episode 19 of The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and dealing with the chaos and the complexity and the stress of life in the 21st century. I'm your host, Bethan, and in each episode I chat to either a different person, other than myself, about what resilience means to them, some of the challenges they've overcome, or I do a deep dive into a topic around resilience, whether that's physical resilience, emotional, mental, all of that lovely stuff. And this week is a guest week, so I have a guest on the show to chat to, and I've been speaking to Leah Steele, who is a former lawyer who has um, a very interesting backstory that I'm not going to ruin now, but really her story is about how how do you deal with a really stressful job that has a lot of emotional toll on you when there are other stresses in your life as well, and how do you kind of come through that and cope with that. So I'm just going to dive into the episode because it's a really interesting one. I hope you enjoy. If you do enjoy, please remember to like, review, subscribe, all of that lovely stuff. And yeah, let's get stuck in. If you want to just start off by telling us a bit about you, who you are, and
1: a bit about your, because obviously your backstory is so, so interesting. Yeah, and I mean, that could fill an entire podcast in and of itself. Maybe that will happen one day. Um, (laughs) But yeah, my name's Leah Steele. I'm the founder of a business called Searching for Serenity um, which is an online training platform. Um, I provide training and mentoring to professionals around the world who are struggling with burnout, exhaustion, imposter syndrome, and really all of that crap that holds us back from having really successful careers. Um, the reason I came to it will probably surprise nobody when I start with, I used to be a lawyer. Um, (laughs) it's pretty easy to draw the connection at that point. Um, I decided to become a lawyer at a very, very young age, ridiculously young, I was a complete precocious brat, um, and at nine years old I decided I was going to be a lawyer, didn't really knew what that meant at that point, hadn't a clue, um, just saw a lawyer, saw them sorting out problems and was like, oh, I'll do that. Um, fast forward ten years, I was at university studying my law degree, fast forward ten years from that I qualified as a solicitor, having been called to the Bar of England and Wales, there was a whole saga of working as an unqualified lawyer for six, seven years before I qualified as a solicitor. Um, And going through that journey, I burned out massively. Um, I didn't recognise what it was at the time. I thought I was just a bit tired. I thought I couldn't hack it. Um, I thought maybe I had some kind of chronic illness. Um, It was... Yeah, I was going through all of it, but I became more exhausted. Um, I was struggling. And actually, I was having this conversation with somebody tonight. The re- the moment that I really, really panicked was when, as a lawyer, as somebody who is wordy AF, as a living, um, I couldn't think of the right word. And I was sitting there. It's called aphasia. I worked in mental capacity law. I recognised the symptoms of dementia. My father died of dementia. So I was sitting there at work and I could see what I wanted to say in my mind's eye and I couldn't think of the word. Um, and that was the moment I truly freaked out because I thought, oh, my God, am I going down the same path as my father? Um, actually, as it turned out, no, I was just really tired.
0: <laughs> so that that story of kind of being in, was it quite a corporate law environment just out of interest?
1: Um, I focused on mental capacity law, so I did a lot of different um Kind of specialisms within that, but essentially, I was client facing. I was working with individuals who either had lost a family member, and we were sorting out the mess that followed, or um, I worked with individuals doing their wills or mental capacity, as in high value court of protection, brain injury work. So, although it, very yeah, very stressful in and of itself. um You know, my final job in my legal career, I. I worked in court protection as something called a deputy. The way I explain it is, you know, Britney Spears has conservatorship. It's the British version of that. We're far more nice about it. We do it all a little bit more secretly. So you don't always know when people are walking down the street that they might have somebody sorting their financial affairs for them. Um, But my clients were all victims of traumatic brain injury, whether that was a road traffic accident, an accident at work, medical negligence. And they all had claims worth between one and 10 or 15 million and we're all no pressure at all I had no support no um no kind of secretarial staff (laughs) um I had trainee solicitors so I had to help train them whilst I was running all these files and you know when you do that you do everything from buying someone's nappies to buying their house to helping them get a divorce to finding out if they have the capacity to have sex yeah it's you're doing everything in someone's life and trying to be as ethical and moral about it as you can in all the circumstances so it was it was pretty high pressure um also you know I came from a background of somebody who had experienced someone going through dementia so uh, you know traumatic brain injury in reverse if you will and you know it I lived it I lived it for a long time
0: Did you you get any support from the company you worked for in terms of, I I don't even know what kind of support there could be for this, but at least someone just being like, hey, are you
1: okay? You will have those moments where you will walk past someone's desk and you'll see them head in hands crying and it's like, come on, let's go to the kitchen. Let's just get the hell out of here and go for a glass of wine. Um, There is a good reason why a lot of lawyers drink, but there is very little formal support. I mean, every company that has more than five employees pretty much has an employee assistance program. Um, the last one I looked at the stats from the Employee Assistance Programme Association, they said the uptake is something like less than 5%. So less than 5% of people who have access to a free support helpline, free counselling, will ever use it. Um, Because, of course, it's provided by your work. You don't want to... Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've had conversations. When I burned out, I was signed off sick with... Everything I was physically ill, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating. There was grief, there was stress and anxiety. And when I spoke to a recruiter because I decided I was going to change my job, I was going to work closer to home, the recruiter went, Oh my god, you're not signed off sick with stress or depression, are you? Because I mean, I don't make the rules, but you'll never work again if you are. What someone actually said that to you, yeah, yeah, and I they're wrong, presumably, they're wrong, they are very, very, very wrong. And luckily, even as bad as I felt at that point, I had the presence of mind to say, uh, you what? <laughs> but when you're at that low an ebb, yeah. there are so many people. And I have so many people who will come to me and say, I can't admit how bad I feel because I might lose my job. I might lose my career. Then I'll lose my house. Then I'll lose my kids. Then I'll end up on drugs. And, and that's yeah. what we do in those circumstances. We completely catastrophize what's going to happen. You know what? I
0: can absolutely so relate to that. So I'm really lucky the company I work for is very kind of supportive and you can go to anyone and be like, look, like this is an issue. But in the past, I, I literally felt like if I admitted I had a problem, they were going to find me on the spot. Yes. But I,
1: I think that's rare. I really hope that's rare. Well, I think it happening in actuality is rare. I think the fear of it is very real because that's imposter syndrome right there. I'm not good enough. I didn't deserve to be in the first place. The moment they find out I'm less than stellar, I'm out the door. Um, So we all, and I think it is all of us to a certain extent, have that fear, have that worry. Um, But then, you know, I have... I have seen changes in my previous industry, you know, over the past couple of years in the legal press, which is not the same as the national press, by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't pretend everybody knows the stuff. But in the legal press, there have been three cases um, concerning lawyers who were struck off for what was referred to as dishonesty, which is where they were so stressed, they made up paperwork or pretended they'd done something Uh, when they hadn't. Dishonesty used to be the old sole practitioner bloke in you know a village somewhere who stole a little bit out of Mrs Jones' will to support his red wine habit. Dishonesty has now become covering up for your stress and those lawyers now do not have careers. That's kind of really shocking because you would Mm. think
0: we live in supposedly a much more enlightened age we're much more kind of au fait with the spectrum of mental disorders that people can potentially have yet we still have these very archaic industries and i wouldn't say it's every industry necessarily but i think there are some that are still quite Mm. traditional that absolutely kind of built up this wall if you have a mental
1: illness like your problem deal with it yeah yeah absolutely and you know going through because burnout is not a recognized mental disorder it is called an occupational phenomenon so it's now being included in um basically the the World Health Organization came out with a d- new definition back in May, end of May, um, and it is included in the diagnostician's manual. But as something that doctors will see as a reason that people intersect with the medical profession, as opposed to this is a recognised disorder on the you know on the level of bipolar or schizophrenia yeah. or depression even. Um, but there is certainly a medical overlap with a lot of it, and it was very interesting in the later stages of my career to I say the later stages of my career this whole thing happened over two years but you know things yeah. move quickly when you decide to take action um I'm working as a lawyer who supported people with functional brain injury and everything that comes with that which can include depression and personality issues and all that kind of stuff And then experiencing the next stage along going, well, I experienced burnout and that can have overlaps with depression and anxiety and it can cause cognitive deficits in the same way as my clients had. And kind of feeling like I was walking this parallel path almost and watching where there was an overlap and where we could never admit that there was a problem (laughs) or it could never be accepted, that there was perhaps as much of a problem or that we could be less than. So it's... I'm really hoping to see a lot of changes, but I certainly know from my old industry, one of the things that I'm crazy fanatical about right now is saying, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to have these procedures in place. And there's more and more research that shows just having these conversations and having them in a very structured way in a safe environment means that we don't take as much stress home. We don't burn out. But getting people into the habit of having those conversations is very, very different. And it's a culture change. And that's um, one of the most difficult things a, a company can do. Yeah, we're all, we're all great at say, stating our corporate values and yep. talking about corporate social responsibility when it's a bake sale that the staff... T- I get into trouble for saying things like this, I should probably stop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, I tend to agree, Like I think we tackle surface
0: level issues with surface level solutions because it's easy because it doesn't require massive resource or it doesn't it doesn't require people sitting back and self-reflecting you know if you're senior Mm. management about yourself and the message you're sending to employees you know if you're Um, in the
1: office till 10 p.m what does that say if you um are completely buttoned up and never admit to anything you know I was very lucky at certain points in my career but I got to have one-to-one interactions with very senior members of staff that would never have told their problems to other people would never have admitted the things that they'd seen and someone yeah. had seen a lot of trauma um but there's the game face <laughs> you have the game face and then there's what we say behind closed doors after the second glass of red wine
0: yes and what would you say let's say someone is listening to this and they are in a position of authority at a company what uh, talking about it is a is a really great first step but are there any Mm. other
1: things they could do to to help employees or improve culture around burnout hugely um the first thing is stop thinking that employee assistance programs are the tick box and you're done um it infuriates me when the when the association itself says take up is poor and we can't really track how often it's used that's to me it's a waste I can't say it's a waste of money because there are people who use it and there are other things that come with it. But if you think that it's going to help uh, staff engagement, employee retention, employee happiness, I know most of us don't care about happiness, but we should, Mm. um, then it's not going to do it. The second thing is, please stop thinking that mental health first aid is the be-all and end-all. This is controversial. (laughs) That's really interesting. No, it is. Why do you say that? Because... Okay, mental health first aid is a brilliant first step. But just in the same way that you wouldn't have people go do first aid training and then never call an ambulance again, the same happens with mental health first aid. It's a first step. It's having people that are a little signpost that say, hey, it's okay to talk. That doesn't mean the conversation is done. Yeah. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people thinking that mental health first aid is the end of the conversation and really it's just the first step. Um, if every industry that I know has an issue with burnout because burnout happens to bright, talented, um, hardworking, engaged individuals who want to make a personal and professional difference and want to make their mark and they work too hard for too long. they will also be the people who won't say, Hey, I'm struggling. Yeah. They will be drowning before they wave. Um, so if you want to make a difference about burnout, have the conversations on a regular basis. Um, you know I do things like I go in to firms two companies just to talk about my experience because the amount of times that I walk into a room and I see people sitting there back in their chairs with their arms folded and they're looking down at the desk and then I start talking about some of the weird and wonderful symptoms and things I didn't realize were leading up to burnout and all of a sudden there's like little light bulbs going on around the room yeah (laughs) And, you know, I've been at trainings where they will not say anything because there are managers and HR in the room, but they will get to me afterwards and be like, oh my God, and I went through this, I had this happen, or, you know, how do I deal with this? And that's where the more meaningful conversations happen. so one of the things that I'm, I've been really struggling with this the last couple of months, because part of me wants to go gung-ho and be like, we need to do corporate training. The Mm -hmm. other part of me goes, but we also need the safe, dark corners to hide in and have the conversations afterwards.
0: Yeah, there's a bit of a balancing act, isn't there? Like, some things Mm. you don't want... I'm not saying, like, every conversation would be on record, but sometimes you just need those human-to-human moments where you're just like, look, man, like, I am struggling today. Yeah. I'm just not feeling so good. Like, can you cut me some slack?
1: Yeah, exactly. Or being able to have to, to go to somebody and say, do you know what? I commute two, three hours a day, and I'm bloody exhausted by Friday morning. What can I do? Because I feel yeah. like I'm losing 20% of my working week. And I sit there and go, right, okay, so let's reshuffle your workload. Let's look at why you're leaving late. Let's make a couple of adjustments. And if that means that your Friday morning is your admin morning and you do nothing but sorting out and booking appointments and silly tasks until midday, okay, if that's what needs to happen. Um, but we're so panicked all of the time by this, yeah. I've got to be perfect. Yeah. Um So, yeah, I mean, there's a million and one things that we can do, but actually having the conversation. And I think particularly in businesses, having somebody external who is independent, who is confidential, um, not having HR in the room, not having perhaps, you know, depending on the size of the company, not having higher management with the receptionist means that we can have more peer to peer conversations. And that's what I really want to kickstart yeah because what i want to be able to do is say hey this is what this means here's a framework to deal with it there you go rather than constantly be going in and kind of pulling teeth trying yeah, to get people trying to, to talk get it sorted yeah and yeah. could
0: you just talk a little bit about how you kind of dealt with this because obviously we've got to the point where you yeah. realize like shit <laughs> i'm <Yeah>. burnt out <laughs> what what happens after that
1: Well, it depends on whether you're smart or whether you're a bit of a dumbass like I was. Um, I I began to realise and I began to come across the word. You know how you come across a word and all of a sudden it starts lighting up little areas of your life and you realise, oh, this is what's going on here. Burnout was a word I came across in, God, I qualified as a solicitor in 2012. By the time I qualified, I'd worked for seven years. I'd done an extra three and a half years of full-time work in overtime paid overtime alone Jesus yeah so and that didn't include the early starts the late finishes the lunch times the trainings the yeah. business development the everything I had to do so I was working an average 70 hour week for six years mine is not the average story but actually when I get my clients to count up their hours it's not that far off um so I struggled against it and I fought against it for a really long time. I started to understand and I started to make small changes like I'll drink a green juice every day because that will change it. Mm. I mean, I'm not very good at making green juices so maybe they would if I was better at doing them. <laughs> <laughs> I drank pond scum and I did it with a horrible gritted teeth. It was awful. Um, I made these small adjustments. I even made adjustments to my career. So when... Uh, so my mum died very suddenly um, in 2014. And it was six months after that, I changed my job. So I went from commuting three hours a day to commuting 10 minutes down the road Yeah. doing what I thought would be an easier area of law. It wasn't, it didn't work out. It was one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. And then I made another adju- adjustment. And I was doing this kind of like, like clicking through the clock almost the whole time. And it wasn't working. What did work was getting really clear on what was important to me because the moment you're burnt out, you are reactive. I tell my clients that they are everybody else's bitch and they need to stop being everybody else's like just run ragged by everybody and everybody else's demands, focusing on what they want. Um, what really worked for me was yes, focusing on my health, simple things like getting more sleep Yeah, and asking why I wasn't sleeping as opposed to thinking four hours a night was normal. Um, Yes, focusing on food and diet, but the biggest work is our belief system and the way that we interact and the way that we see what's going on around us. So not thinking that everything was hopeless, not thinking I was a broken doll, um, not thinking that I was the only one. And actually that's where searching for serenity started because I just thought I can't be the only one, right? Right the more that I started admitting what was going on, the more people came out of the woodwork and would yeah. send me messages telling me that they'd had the same. And that's really where it grew from. So having a community, hands down, 100%, it's been the biggest thing that's changed what's happened to me. Because when you have people from different careers, from different walks of life, different ages, who all have similar experiences, well, then it's not just me. It's not just the industry. It's not just because I'm ginger. It's, you know, it's something bigger. So that's when we can have the really meaningful conversation because it stops being about me, my problems, I'm broken.
0: Yeah. And with your clients, because obviously you must have worked with a number of people now, are there any kind of common threads that you see that Mm. either contribute to their situation or... Help them deal
1: with it yeah I mean to put this in context my client base is predominantly UK but I have clients in the US Um, I have people contacting me from Australia Canada South Africa Um, I have a number of clients in Europe Um, I have clients who work in tech UX UI medical professionals lawyers teachers marketeers you know if you have a white collar essentially you're going to struggle with this. And actually, I'm seeing this more with blue-collar workers as well.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, which has been a... That's where I came from. I grew up on building sites, basically. Um, But I'm seeing more people, particularly people who are more entrepreneurial or who are achieving management roles within blue-collar industries or running their own businesses, because it's the same tensions. Um, And predominantly, my client base is female, but I also now have male clients. So Mm. that's something that's shifted over the last couple of years. So, bearing that in mind, the common threads that I see are ambitious, but usually with a lowercase a. Um, you don't have to want to be the chief of everything. Mm. You just want to make a difference. Most people have gotten into their businesses because either they what well, their businesses, their careers, because they have seen a way to make a difference, because they want to have an impact, or because they want to make change for the people around them. So whether it's I want to make enough money to support my family or whether it's, you know, medical professionals are the obvious example of this, teachers are the obvious example of this, this very kind of selfless giving. Um, Hard-working, dedicated, usually quite type A, usually fairly anal retentive, perfectionist, um, unable to admit they're wrong (laughs) under most circumstances, um, or far too willing to admit they're wrong. Mea culpa, mea culpa maxima every step of the way it must be me I've screwed up
0: that's so interesting
1: I was that type I used yeah. to get told off constantly like oh your clients complained I was like wow you know there was this one time it took me three minutes to respond to an email and the head of compliance would be like "Well, you shut up you make my job so difficult um <laughs> take that off the record um yeah so hard working dedicated want to make a difference and just give so much yeah. They tend to be the person who will drop everything to go and see their friend whose relationship has just broken up. They will be the person who will offer up their spare room to somebody because they're having a hard time and they need a break. And then won't think about the fact that the spare room is full of junk and washing yeah. because their life is too crazy and they can't do anything. And This makes yeah. me so sad though because
0: like these are the people who have all the attributes that generally mm. I think this is generally acceptable thing that they all sound great those are great yeah. attributes that anyone would want to hire for and anyone would want to have as a friend so yeah. how does it go from like actually
1: having these great things these great attributes to they get burnt out one of my friends years ago made a brilliant analogy that honestly I should give her a lot of money but I do buy her a lot of prosecco so it works <laughs> that's fair, out. That's fair. It, it works out overall um but we we went for lunch one day, and sitting there eating our lunchtime burritos, she turned to me and she was like, Do "You know what? I've realised. I've realised my job is like a bad boyfriend." And uh, I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm intrigued. Are we talking about our boyfriends, or um, no? We were talking about it's this kind of routine behaviour because most of us overperform at work, most of us overperform at home." We're the people who go and make the cup of tea, even though we're exhausted. We're the people who do all the things, right? So she would overperform at work and they would let her. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, when you've got somebody who is a high achiever, you just get out of their way and let them get on with it. But it would go too far and she would start to feel stretched and she would start to say, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got too much on my plate, too many, too much, not enough hours in the day, not enough sleep. And they would go, "Okay, okay, yeah, we'll sort it out. We'll sort it out. No, it'll be okay. And they leave it and leave it. And it would be like the bad boyfriend who would just stop answering your calls and stop turning up. And then it was only when she'd have a full on hissy fit and be like, right, you're dumped. Yeah. All of a sudden, the bad boyfriend boss would come back with the flowers and the chocolates and the compliments and all, but I love you really. And here, have a day off. And it would be a nice thing. It would be a nice gesture, but it would be slightly hollow.
0: Yeah, too little, too late, maybe sometimes and sometimes it was just
1: you know we are all ridiculously busy I don't know if you've noticed um (laughs) I try not to think about it most days (laughs) I feel like you know when I talk to for example my grandparents who are both nearly 90 they lived very different lives to the life that I live um my father went my grandfather went to work he did his work he came home he didn't have to take it home. He didn't have a mobile phone. They still don't understand how my mobile works. They've never used a laptop. You know, it's completely different. We're always on, we're always connected and we're always thinking and always responsible and always, oh my God, what could I do? And so when we are more busy, when there is more for us to do, because we seem to be making more work for ourselves rather than less, then, you know, it's not even a case of it's once or twice, it's too too little, too late. It's that we're all exhausted we're all stretched we're all aware of those things at the bottom of our to-do list that have like grown mold they've been there so long and so it's not that somebody's doing it to us deliberately it's just that we're all in growth all the time yeah um and so it's this constant it's the elasticity thing right resilience is the opposite of burnout resilience is elasticity it's being able to come back to center and actually have the same shape as before and as we burn out, we get less of that. And we end up just being a broken band.
0: That's so... I've never thought about it before. And you've literally just answered one of my questions for you. <laughs> is what does resilience mean to you? But resilience I'm psychic. As, <laughs>
1: amazing magic. <laughs> resilience is the opposite of burnout. Yeah. Most yeah. of my clients will come to me and say, "I," they will. when I ask them what they want, if I could wave a magic wand over their life and their work, what would change? And they go, I want to care less. I don't want to give a fuck. I just want to be able to go in, do my job and leave. And I laugh in their faces. I'm not polite about it either. I will laugh in their faces because that's not what they want. Because if they have a single week of leaving the office on time and nobody caring that they haven't worked late and nobody checking up on them, they're like, I'm not special anymore. Yeah, you'd feel Um, so like, what? You're not noticing me. Love me, love me. This is exactly what happens. Um, You know, And a lot of us do use our work as validation as a way to fill any little niggling holes that we have um and it's a way of pushing further forward so um they don't want to care less about their, their work they do want to give a fuck they give many fucks yeah but what they want is to have boundaries
0: yeah i this is like you're giving me ptsd for my own life here um <laughs> i think one of the things with me is i i if I could wave a magic wand I would have more time because I always feel like I've got so much to do, so many ideas and I never get to execute on them all
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: I think part of it comes from the fact that at school I was never really picked out as being like the bright and gifted person and I always wanted to be, you know, I always wanted Mm. the teachers to be like, oh Bethan, like you're so smart, blah, blah, blah because you know, I'm arrogant AF, who (laughs) is (laughs) it? I don't know, and... I, I know a lot of people who are like me, who are like that. They just they just want them to be like, you're special. But we're kind of not special. I mean, we're special to
1: ourselves, but... We work bloody hard to be, though. Yeah. I mean, you're going to hate me, because I've actually... I was reading through my past articles on LinkedIn this evening for a, a project I'm doing, and one of them was the curse of being gifted. <laughs> because I was that kid at school. I yeah, was always yeah. top of the class, and I did it very easily. Um... I didn't fail a single test in my entire life until I got to postgraduate degree level and then I bit hard um, but I was it, was it came easy to me yeah. so I just floated along to a certain extent I was the person who would do their homework on the bus on the way to school still finishing it as we were due to hand it in and I remember when we did our A levels I did politics um, I think it was A2 level Um, So the second year, because I was the first year of the AS and A2 thing. Um, And we'd had a module in the January. The results had come out and we actually had a politics class that morning. And the teacher was like, right, okay. so what we've decided to do is buy back some of the papers. And we've got one that's a D, one that's a C, one that's a B, one that's an A. And the person in the school, we got 90 out of 90. And immediately, everyone in the class is like, "Who got it? Who got nineteen ninety out of 90? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you?" And I'm just sitting there, sliding down in my seat. And the teacher just turned around and was like, "So, Lee, you're happy with me buying your 19 out of 90 paperback?" And the response I got from one of the girls was, "Fuck, no way!" <laughs> because I never showed up. Well, I showed up. Yeah, but I did the, I did everything at the beginning, and I was a smart ass in class, and I wasn't particularly a clown, but I wasn't. I was a bit funny. I was beginning to realise I could be amusing occasionally, but I just, I was a beige blob in the corner. Um, and so for me, the I need to be special, well, one, I've always done really well. So if I'm not doing, if I'm not top of the class, what the hell is wrong? I need to sort this out immediately. Didn't really yeah. know how to work hard, so I just went from not doing anything to doing everything all at once. You know, before I burned out, I was working as a... Um, contentious probate lawyer, I was doing a monthly magazine article, I was writing blogs for the website, I was delivering training around the country. I was delivering trainers to lawyers who had 30 years experience on me, and I was talking as the expert, because i developed a whole new area of law that only about five people in the country worked in, and I just taught myself and went to one class, and then I was an expert, and I was advising local authorities all over the country, as well as doing my original job, and the blogs, and the articles, and the book, and... (sighs) is it any wonder I burned out? Yeah. Because I didn't know where to stop. So for all of us, it's boundaries. Whether we've come at it because we want to be special, because we don't know how to be otherwise, it's learning when to stop. It's learning when it's okay for us to go away and have a gin and tonic and maybe a slice of cake as well. (laughs) I... um, I'm most known for being outspoken on LinkedIn. So come and find me on LinkedIn, Leo Y. Steele. Um, I'm usually causing some trouble there. You can find me at searchingforserenity.co.uk, um and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash search. And at the moment, one of my big focuses is getting into businesses to have these conversations. And as you can see, we can talk all day about it. So <laughs> um, if anybody wants to speak to me about that, email me at hello at
0: Thanks so much to Leah for coming on the show. Um, As you can tell, I had a great time recording with her. She's got amazing energy and a really refreshing, no bullshit approach to things, which uh, is, is, like I say, very refreshing. So um, if you like the episode, please feel free to uh, review, subscribe, like on whatever platform you're on. This just means due to kind of algorithmic things that um, the more people like and talk about this, the more people will see it and hopefully will spread the word about the really interesting knowledge that is shared in this podcast. Because that's the whole point of, really of it for me anyway, is um, I wanted to share stories and knowledge around how to be more resilient in all aspects of life. So until next time, um, if you want to follow what we're up to, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Brave Listen. We've also got a Facebook page. And if you want to find out what I'm up to, because I do weird and wonderful things all the time, (laughs) um, you can follow me at Beth and Vincent on Twitter. And um, if you want to find out more about the podcast and the back catalogue of episodes, oh my gosh, I cannot talk today, catalogue of episodes, um, you can find us online at bethandvincer.com forward slash The Brave Podcast. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much.